Welcome to the Deep End Beyond Deck, a podcast where visionary builders, creators, and experts discuss world-changing ideas. I'm your host, Marshall Kosloff. Let's dive in. With the Deep End, we're creating space where we skip the surface level and go in-depth into ideas that matter. I'll be your guide as we explore possible futures of commerce, higher education, art, governance, longevity, and more with some of the most exciting figures in their respective fields. Joining me today in the deep end is Joe Albanese, co-founder and CEO of Stir, a platform to help creators manage their businesses. The phenomenon of users inventing behaviors before they're productized is a consistent theme throughout the history of the tech industry. Before hashtags or retweets existed formally on the Twitter platform, users invented them by themselves ad hoc. By creating the right tooling, Twitter reduced the friction of these behaviors, making them much more widespread. In a similar way, Stir is looking to build tools to supercharge existing behaviors in the creator economy by making it easier for creators to collaborate, split revenue, manage money, and understand important metrics all in one place. Why is Stir doing this? Joe believes that creators are professionals and that for each of them to reach their full potential, it is essential that the quality of their business tools match the quality of their creative output. Stir was born in the On Deck Founder Fellowship, where Joe met his co-founder Kushal. But, well, that's what puts Stir on the radar for us at On Deck. The reason we are so excited to have Joe on the deep end today is because we believe that what Stir is building has the potential to help the creator economy reach new heights, a thesis shared by Stir's high-profile investors, including Casey Neistat, Lee Jin, YouTube co-founder Chad Hurley, Patreon CEO Jack Conti, and Anthony Pompliano, among others. As Joe says, it's the top of the first inning for the creator economy. Today, we dive deep with Joe to discuss the ideas behind Stir's mission, the decentralization of creative talent, and the tools that we needed to make it all possible. The Deep End is produced by On Deck, where top talent goes to accelerate their ideas and careers. We hope that those who listen to the ideas on the show are inspired to build. To learn more about On Deck's programs, visit beyonddeck.com. For show notes and additional resources related to the deep end, check out ideas.beyonddeck.com. All right, let's dive in. Joe Albanese, welcome to the deep end. Thank you for having me. How's it going? Doing really well, man. It's a it's a nice Friday out. Had a good launch for the show, so this is a great follow up, Eric. I'm actually really obsessed with everything you're doing, but also just the general idea of the creator economy. So I normally like to avoid doing the whole "What's your company?" and "What is this thing?" But I think going through your work, you have a really interesting tie between the ideas that we're going to discuss on this podcast and the actual company itself. So it's really important we do this then. What exactly is STIR? Yeah. STIR is, we like to say very simply, STIR is where creators run their business. Um, so, you know, we build payment and collaboration tools that allow creators to work with one another uh, and, and grow their business. I, I fundamentally believe that every person is going to be a business in some shape or form. We see it starting with very, you know, creatively led industries. And if, if, if that's the world that you live in, where every person's going to be a business or the future you believe in, then we're just going to have to radically rethink our tool set and also how we all work together. Um, and, and Stir sort of builds within that, that thesis and that narrative. Lee Jin, 
investor and stir, the general just guru on everything, creator economy, Atelier Ventures, A16Z, all that good stuff. She made the point in the information that 10 years from now, everyone is going to be a creator in some way. And you just made the point in your own words of everyone's going to be a business in some respect. Dude, that sounds terrible. That sounds <laughs> terrible. I, I know this is a tech podcast. I know that like, you know, yeah. technology, all that stuff, but that sounds kind of terrible. Why is this the yeah. world that we would want to live in? I'll give you the bull case for it or like the optimistic case. And I, I like to tell people optimism is my superpower. So if you think like historically how people have like earned a living and provided for their family, you know, someone or an organization told them when they have to work, how much they're worth, and then like when they get to earn more, right? An entrepreneur basically challenges that and tries to build something of value and then, you know, gets plays a little bit more better hands. And I think what the internet has basically unlocked is what those institutions really had and what they're, why they could set the terms is that they controlled reach and who you got to impact. And that is just that future or that, that past uh, kind of doesn't exist. We have like completely new rules where anyone could do it. So every person is a business. Yeah. Maybe sounds like a terrible idea given like the history that we know and like all the, all the norms that we have. But if you, if you, if you think about the upside, if anyone can provide for their family and, you know, own their own, their own future and through that control, and it's made just in a way that is, is just simpler and, and there's uncapped upside, that's, that's a really good place to live in. Right. You know, a lot of how I thought about this idea was like, I've met moms, single moms that provided for their kids and like built a nice little business off a niche that they were really proud of and, and really like, fulfilled by. And I just think that's beautiful, but you're right. Like, yeah. And in, in like corporate America, the way that we think about capitalism business today, it, it sounds pretty, um, it doesn't sound that good, but I think there's a light at that end of that tunnel. Yeah. And that's so smart because this also comes from a comment you made on a different podcast. This may have been Colin and Samir about the way that stir and you as a founder are trying to interact with creators, which is that you don't want to just be seen as this like rapacious capitalist. I think that was, you, you referred to capitalism in that sense. So I think what I'm really getting at is I wonder if right now we're in the happy stage of the creator economy discourse, but eight years ago, we could have been doing a podcast if we were sort of around, if we were being a little forward facing, we could have said, man, this gig economy, you can set your own hours, you can do this, this and that. And yeah. whether or not that narrative is true, like on a policy and lived experience level, there just definitely is this like narrative that like the gig economy is now bad and you now are yeah. just being owned by Jeff Bezos or whatever. So I'm just curious how you think about this as a founder who's interested in ideas in this space. How do you think of these like narrative cycles as like swings so like right now, creator economy, man, like that's awesome. It's sick. I want to do it. You're doing it in your own yeah. weird way. How do you just think about that as a founder? True, great question. Comment on the gig economy is like, there still was an institution involved, right? It was, it was the platform or the marketplace that sort of served those folks. And like, that's also a job that, you know, yeah, you get to choose your hours and stuff, but the platform is really serving the people that are requesting a ride and they can just like really demean and, and maybe not be totally fair to the drivers. Where I think in the creator economy, like that's actually not as true. Like there are so many different areas where you can grow a business, right? Like that's kind of like one of the value props of Stir is like we are Switzerland in one way and we let you connect all of these things, right? And I, I think you're just seeing that and why I think these are two radically different economies. To, but to go continue on your point is I, what I think we haven't unlocked, but Stir is trying to do this is for this to be successful and maybe achieve a lot of the like large, um, the large vision that, you know, technologists and venture capitalists have for it and talk about it on Twitter. 
is there need to be like real new paradigm shifts. Um, we have like bets that we think the world's going to go. Uh, and we've, we've also tried a bunch of stuff in the early days of the company. Uh, and I think like right now it's so, um, there are too many of like the norms from the, the past that need to be challenged, broken up and, 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 and tried in a different way that we are trying and other, other companies are trying, but that is how this like maybe achieves the, the, the grand vision that we have for it, but it's still not there. Like totally not. Let's just take one quick step back before we get into the three different interesting things you said. And like, let's just define the creator economy, especially if you're, you're not like a Twitter nerd who like delves like too deep into random Substack posts. What is the creator economy? And then, and I've never quite understood this, is the creator economy different than the passion economy? What exactly is a creator? I like to say it's um, anyone that can builds and maintain an, uh, an audience or a community online. And they, they usually generate revenue from that. They don't, they don't have, it's still early. We're not, everyone's doing that, but you're starting to see just, again, it's, it's, it's the first inning, top of the first inning really. Um, but you see early signs and it's, it's interesting how I remember two years ago when I like started to think about this, you know, you talk to like maybe people that you want to join your team or work on this project with you or like early investors, this does not have the, the hype that the term has today. Like people, I remember one investor told me um, that they just confused it with like Fiverr, people on Fiverr, like freelancers. No, 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 this is like very different. It's like works, it just has nothing to do with that. Uh, or the word influencer, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, putting a different taste in people's mouths and like, you know, selling fake tea on Instagram as being like the customer you're trying to serve. And it's actually incredibly different. And in a lot of ways, creators share similarities with, with startups and, and small businesses. And they can like, there's multiple, there's way more ways they can, uh, uh, you know, earn revenue and build a business on top of these things. And it just wasn't uh, present enough people's minds. And I think two things happened at the same time. Um, the first was, and maybe, maybe they're related in some way. The first was a global pandemic. Um, but, 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 but basically, you know, like us all, I think, you know, a global experiment where everyone reevaluating their relationship to work at the same moment, right? Where you work, uh, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs. So like, just like that happened so quickly. Um, like uh, not only where you work at the company, but also physically and not needing to be there. And then also the, the, the emergence of TikTok of like, we saw to be a creator, the barrier to entry is like actually quite high. Like you have to leave your job to start a Substack or a podcast or YouTube channel. That is incredibly high. There are so much risks there. But TikTok was this advancement in lowering that barrier to entry where more people felt comfortable creating content and seeing what that could lead to. And those two things happening at the same time, I think sort of maybe accelerated what was already going to happen, but by like three to five years, um, which is quite significant. I think another thing that was going to happen is the, the, these companies, these platforms like Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all of them. Uh, if you think about their businesses, like they, they didn't really think about creators until that stuff happened. Now they talk about it all the time. And it's it's not really in their DNA to think about the people that create value on the platform, like the, the, the content creators on the platform. They build for advertisers, you know, and then they build for the masses, right? The connections and stuff. And now they've had to like re-reevaluate their business models and their product roadmaps to be like, oh, wow, this is now very much a thing. So like that is kind of what we've seen over the last year. And, and it's created 
the sum of that has created this creator economy. Well, let's just go to your biography real quick because you said something on a different podcast that was really interesting and ties together with something you said a little earlier about the world really shifting, which is frankly something that this podcast is just editorially interested in. You referred to yourself as someone who's like an anti-institutionalist. And if you're yeah. looking back to our episodes with Eric and Balaji, both of those really centered Balaji speaking about the nation state and companies and crypto, Eric talking about big media and big higher education, there's this broader shift against institutions throughout the developed and frankly developing world. There's a lot of skepticism of anything that's big. So how do you just get, is, is this one of those things where you were at the right place at the right time or that narrative you saw happening or just, had, had just explain your thinking along those lines and why you articulate yourself that way? It's a great question. It's very much baked in my in my DNA. Um, I come from, I'm you know I'm born and raised in New York. Come from an Italian American family. Really like in in, in my in, in my my experience is like your family is really everything. I have like a thirty person group chat on iMessage. It's like active every day, um, and that is like the core. And I guess growing up, I was always pushed by my family to. Um, I don't know, be an independent thinker and, and always having my family as, as, as backup. And, and I don't know if some of those values were like supporting the people you're close with, always being on their side. And it's a good question. Um, I don't know, I've always just rooted for underdogs. So all, all my sports teams suck. <laughs> I'm a Knicks fan, I'm a Mets fan. Like, Come on, give us the triple. Believe... There's gotta be one more there. <laughs> I don't wanna say the last one, I'm always embarrassed. I'm a Cowboys fan, it's a family thing. People are gonna call me out, I'm gonna get ripped for that one. Yeah, I've just always believed in someone that had the deck stacked against them. And in a lot of ways, institutions have the deck. Um, you know, I, I, I dropped out of college. Like there's in a lot of ways. And you dropped out of art school, right? So like that's the most yeah. dropout of dropouts you can imagine, right? I know. I know. I remember at the time my dad was thinking I was a crazy person. Um, yeah, I, I just, it just built in me to, to feel this way and believe in folks like that. And I think creators or really anyone that's trying to start a business, right? It's like, that is the ultimate, you know, middle finger to an institution is like, I'm going to go challenge what you say is normal. Again, with the creators, like they are basically saying, I'm going to be the CEO, CFO, CMO, and head of creative and support myself. So I'm going to do all these jobs and I'm going to go against like big media, you know, Hollywood, all these other traditional paths because the past, uh, if you think about, I always use this example, it's like, you know, you're an actor and you want to star on a television show. You probably have to like suck up to the director, hope the writer likes you. Then the studio needs to approve that, 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 that process. Then you do the pilot and if fans like you, then maybe a year later you're on TV and, and now you just pull this thing out of your pocket and you connect with an audience and, and immediately. You've just controlled your own destiny. And I, I just big believer in that and want to support people that do that. Not to sound too corny, but like stir is, Yes, startups are hard, but like STIR is the most fulfilling work I've ever been able to do because that is really what we're trying to unlock is I you know every person to be a business, but I want everyone to just support themselves and their family. I think that's really a, 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 just a powerful thing to, to, to want to create in the world. Let's shift from the biographical version of that answer to your point that there's something clearly going on with this disintermediation away from big and like, what are the implications 
for creators, society, these industries? Like, what, is, what does this like mean? So I think the top and most obvious one that listeners would probably think about is, hey, the top writer at the New York Times realizes that they're actually much more of a draw relative to the great reporter who covers the pharmaceutical beat. So they're going to go to Substack and they're going to make a bunch of money. That's the obvious yeah. one. But what are like the broader... Because once again, if we're talking about a big total addressable market, there's only so many people that can leave the New York Times to make this viable. Yeah. So can you expand that vision for what this looks like? I actually think, so yeah, again, top of the first inning, so early we are. It, it looks way more like an agency, um, like you know, sub, one person leaving the New York Times and starting a Substack is not really the creator economy. It's just like a new business model developing and you know, just like a, a, a high-priced athlete, like going to another team, where we will grow after with, with innovation and new models, which is going to lead to where I believe Sir is going, is like this wins when not just the sports writer leaves the New York Times, the entire sports division leaves the New York Times. Uh, and they, and they, they find their like, strength and numbers of working with, with one another. And they can all you know, like support themselves and have this like uncapped upside. That's where I think we need to head. The problem right now, there's kind of two problems in my mind. Uh, the, the first is there's no tooling. There's just there's just none. Um, it's a really fun example. Um, you know, I, I call them collectives. It's like our take, and you're starting to see like every by, by Nathan Bichet is like this group of a bunch of writers that find like wow, there's tremendous value in pooling together, but not like running the entire stack, right? Um, so the first is there's not a good enough tooling, and then the second problem is. And this is like, this is probably more so a, 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 like a US problem is US consumers are just so, uh, like our standard for content is so high and it's ad supported. So paying for something like for an individual piece of content is still just a ways out. So creators need to be ad supported or like, you know, they need to go to brands and do brand sales. There was this like a chart the other day that was like so much of the revenues from brand is. I think that needs to change to, you know, transacting directly with their supporters. Yeah, I just want to interrupt real quick because two points here that I want to pull out. One, when you're making the point around U.S. consumer skepticism of any form of subscription media, in other contexts, you've contrasted that, and you know Connie Chan especially at A16C has contrasted that with China, where you have huge, especially yeah. with podcasting. So as a podcaster, this is very near and dear. If American consumers paid for podcasts at the rate that Chinese consumers did, it would be it would be an incredible industry for a lot of people. So you said the issue in America is that there's a high standard for content, but I'm not quite sure that's really because here's another way to put it, yeah. which is that in China, I think it wasn't it wasn't the issue that the um, Chinese um, market basically skipped the desktop phase. So you went straight to like yeah. mobile phones, so there wasn't this same advertising business model. So yeah, I would just love for you to just comment on my general spew. I just threw it right there. Yeah. There's two points I'll make. The first is, I mean, the tooling just really isn't there. If I wanted to like go buy it, like if you were independent and I wanted to go like just subscribe to your podcast on Spotify where I listen to podcasts, I just could not do that. Like there's, like, there's just no way to do that, right? So like you can't even go where people listen because the, pro- the platforms have not like actually built this functionality out for you. And so that's like, about to change they, the key thing. And that's yeah, a keynote that we should make. Exactly. So like the things are the things that we need to happen are happening. So I'm excited about that. Um, two is maybe just like refine my point is if you just look at the history, right? Like we have 
network television in, in the US, right? Like it's it's free if you just have like, just plug the TV into the wall, right? The, the cable, you don't even need to pay the subscription. Uh, the US like provides that as a utility. Um, so maybe I, I, I didn't explain that properly by saying like our standard is so high, but we are used to ad supported content as being the standard. And then anything you need to pay for, it's like, oh, this this has to be premium. Like it's like HBO. a big budget movie HBO. or HBO. Exactly. Um, and I think that is going to be a big challenge that we need to, I think we will progress for it because of two reasons. One's the platforms will build it. So it'll be more accessible. And then two, if I'm supporting a person and not a large corporation, it's a little different, right? Like I think I'm more like, maybe I think the sentiment is and like younger generations are maybe more likely to go to the local coffee shop than like support Starbucks. Um, there's, there still is a large grower that supports Starbucks, but if I'm supporting you directly, there's like this person to person connection that is meaningful. And, and, and I think will help maybe advance this a little bit further. Something I'm super curious about, because then I want to get to something that I'm really interested in. It was, it was a story you told about the market and the size you're addressing. But I wonder if sometimes when we're talking about, especially from a tech and venture side, when we're talking about, oh, the creator economy and opportunity and people want to pay for who they want to support and ads, you know, ad media sucks. Like all the, all the stories you want to tell in a pitch deck to raise money or just generally like entice people. And this isn't just about the creator economy. This is just any storytelling you tell. I wonder if there's a danger that we just forget the consumer here. So like, I just want to think like, how much actual consumer desire is there to pay for things? So we could say to ourselves, man, like when Barry Weiss is at the New York Times, like you're asking a consumer to just support like everyone. And you know what? People actually just want to support Barry. How many of those people do you think actually exist? And by that, I mean, how many people actually exist who look at a top tier publication? So not a third tier, not a fourth tier, not a city paper if it's running on fumes, but like wow, the New York Times has this incredible bundle and it's a problem for me that I have to support like a bunch of people when it turns out that a lot of these creators when they're by themselves end up pretty much charging a relatively similar price. Because I think we're talking a lot about selling to a creator, right? So right now, everything you're saying, this is such an awesome pitch for me. Like this, I'm like, dude, yeah. this is great. But if I'm <laughs> pretending I'm just Marshall back at University of Oregon eight years ago, I'm like, wait a second. He's basically just implying I have to pay for more things. So like, why would I want that? It's a great question again. I want to give you an answer. I mean, I have an answer in my head, I, I, but call me out for it if you think it's, I'm, I'm skating around it. Um, there, there really are, I really just believe there are infinite niches. Um, and like the amount of, if you have like your niche that you, you talk about that, that can actually connect with a real group of people, I believe that that, that can scale to almost everyone. So like the kid eight years ago, if I was at, at, at Oregon, if I was talking to them, I'd be like, we have to find your niche and you will be able to support yourself. Like, yes, people are used to paying for their like, you know, $10 a month Netflix subscription to getting loads of content, but then they also have the things that they are like uniquely interested in. And if there was a community or, or a person that was helping them, you know, continue to like massage that hobby or, or grow in it or learn more about it or connect more with people, I, I think you'll find like they would pay for that. And, and that's really what these, that's that's the beauty of the creator economy is like creators have this ability to connect with supporters or customers in a way that is like a cheat code versus a brand, right? Like I'm much more willing to shell out five bucks to support a person 
than a, a brand, right? That's just gonna like, has this whole team behind it. It's not really personal. And I think that is the big disruption here. Talked about TAM. It's kind of funny, like um, I've never like walked around with a TAM number uh you know in a slide deck or anything because like truthfully i don't don't believe any of it i think it's all like probably there's who knows it could always be like much larger or much smaller than what everyone says so i never get around the number i do think though like if you see these trends happening and you like the 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 disruption weird word you know buzzword but like it's going to happen across like almost every industry right like media entertainment um my favorite one is is education Mm -hmm. my sister's a teacher um, my sister's a, a teacher. She, she teaches about 40 kids. She makes $35,000 a year. That's crazy. That's insane. Right? Like she's the, the level of impact she's having on these people's lives is, is much larger than, than, the, than that. But the institution tells her when, how much she makes and when she can do it. And it's a good school. It's a good job. She learns a lot. Um, I think when, like when there are better ways for educators to, you know, have solo classrooms or work with other t- educators, in an easy way to have their own like micro schools, this will be a thing. Um, so the tooling just hasn't caught up, but I think the sentiment is there. And again, like I always like this too, like a lot of the bets that we make are on human nature uh, and connection. And like, I'll, I'll bet on those all day, right? We might have to like change some of the, tweak it and fix it or remark or like re- change the messaging. But a lot of what we make is just like, I'm bringing people together and letting them work with one another. And I, I like those bets. Yeah, no, I, I'd love that answer. I won't, I won't call you out on it. And I'm just realizing <laughs> I'm answering my own. I like when I could just think out loud on a podcast like this. I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking the answer to my question, at least from my perspective, is also that if tools like Stir and just the creator economy as a whole could enable the creation of better content, then that sort of sidestep the sidesteps the question I'm asking. So if what Stir enables is the creation of better work, then of course it's a win. If it's if 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 all if all this is is like, hey, we're just gonna break up the New York Times and make people pay a thousand dollars for 80 different subscriptions, that's I don't think that's what the opportunity is. The opportunity is, hey, like, what if we had Ben Thompson of Stratechery in every single category? Mm-hmm. Because you have a model that really enables that. And if you think back to, you know, we referenced HBO earlier, but that's where HBO came about. People didn't just start there was free network TV. Why did people start paying? They started paying because you had Game of Thrones and you had Sex in the City and you had boxing, like live boxing through a satellite in the 70s is where that actually came about. So I'm really into the thing I'm really interested to see as this market evolves over the next three or four or five or six years is right now we're just purely in the unbundling site. So Substack and Patreon and everything just is basically just like, hey, like we're taking basically the work that you were doing before taking it off the op-ed page and making people pay for it. That's just V1 though. V2, 3, 4, and 5 is going to be, no, no, like we are reimagining what like content and coverage and just all this stuff is. And that's what people will be excited for. So I think if we're thinking to the audience here, what people should be really thinking about, they should be thinking in that space, which is a good pivot to um, my next question, which you referenced. You told this funny story on Colin and Samir when you were raising money, uh, prospective investors like, hey, like, okay, so like, what's the TAM? Like, what's the total addressable market? Um, Can you guys go through and see how many YouTube channels have X number of subscribers? Like, body, 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 body. And you said you just weren't into that. Instead, like you wanted to focus and lean into five, 10 years, like what that vision was. Like focusing on YouTube channels, like that's like a very, once again, 2020, 2019 mindset. So when you look 
five, 10 years into the future? Let's just get an articulation of like what excites you. Yeah, love this question. It's definitely where my, my head's at every day. You, you mentioned this kind of like a meme, like there's the bundling and unbundling of everything. I think right now we're seeing a lot of unbundling, right? I leave wherever and start a YouTube channel or, or a Substack. Um, and I like to say, you know, every, every creator starts off as single player. You have your YouTube channel, your podcast, your, you know, whatever. Um, and at some point, like you can only be a single player for so long, right? You, you need to work with others. And we call that the multiplayer stage. And, and you see multiplayer in, in the creator economy. Why do you need to work with? Because for example, if I just think Mr. Beast, Joe Rogan, yeah. what, why, what, you think of like one person, why does someone, and obviously most people are not either of those creators, like why do you need yeah. to go from single player to multiplayer? Yeah, I mean, Mr. Beast is a team of 40 people underneath him. He also has like the, 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 the friends that he brings on his channel, right? They're like characters and stuff. And these are like, all contributing to like what the actual product is. Um, another thing in, in creator cultures I'm getting at is uh, this concept of collabing, um, right? Like you work with others and, and what's effectively happening is it, it's so, uh, it's fun like be one of this is like so good natured. Like you come on my channel, I come on yours. Our, our audiences like get to see each other. Um, and what you're effectively doing is like that actually is a business partnership um, it's just like very uh, informal. And, and and I really think like there's tremendous opportunity in like, like actually that is, that is constraint on what good collabs can be. Like if you give the tools and the infrastructure to power those even further and enable new types of partnerships, uh, you actually expand what's, what's possible. So, and, and you just see this everywhere. Like you even see it today with Substackers like starting their own discord together. And like, just think about that for a second. They've all, organically understood that like, I have my Substack, it's mine. I don't wanna like create a media entity with a bunch of folks because I just left that job to go do that. But I wanna provide more value to my subscribers. And like, these are all really smart people kind of doing a similar thing. Let's share the community. So they started like a Discord. This, the example I'm giving is, is, is a product called Side Channel, which is a community. And that is really interesting, right? Like these folks see the value in working with one another. They don't wanna start an S Corp with one another, but they wanna, create more value together. And they've just started up a, a Discord together, but they'll run into interesting things where like, do they eventually charge for the Discord? Well, like who gets paid first, right? Or like, what if they have shared expenses, right? And they have like the Discord hits a certain thing, like who, who pays that? You know, the, the future of businesses in my mind are gonna look way more like group chats where you're in a couple of them, right? I, I've said this before, but like, you know, you have like your family, your unit, that's like your probably your core. And then you have like, you know, your, your friends from college that like, you know, you're in and out with, but you have such great relationships there. And then you have the, like that friend weekend that you went like a few weekends before and you like do some stuff with them and you're not going to spin up, you know, you're not using Stripe Atlas to go like build a business with them together. You just want to collab and, 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 and there's real revenue that comes from these places. And I think that is a big challenge of like what the passes look like. But if you think about it, these are digital first businesses built online, right? Like, where the tooling is just like so much simpler and, it, and it's just, uh, it, it may, it's, it's more in tune with like how, how people expect the tool to be. And we, we, we operate in that. So, you know, we have these things called collectives, which is basically what, you know, this, this side channel is basically operating as and, and, and splits, which lets you just like very simply click on something and, and share the revenue with one another. And it, it enables 
So I can a YouTube new video. type of so, a, so for example, there's a crossover YouTube show, YouTube episode. Yeah. Yeah. You and I, you come on my YouTube channel and like, you not only help me like come up with the creative, but you help me like edit the, whatever we end up doing. And your audience sees that you have like created value with me. Uh, and like traditionally the way to pay you was here's a hundred bucks for helping me with that. But there's like so much more upside being left on the table and you're a really talented individual. There is, there's never been a way for you to ask for like, Hey, can I get 50% of that? Like, it's a pretty fair deal. Like I helped you do this. And if you do that, you're just like when uncapped upside, you're way more incentivized to do like way more work. Right. Um, because like now you can like, sh we share the creative ownership. Stir gives you the ability to do that. You just with three clicks, you click on the video and now that video is you get paid in perpetuity from that. We, we do that on Shopify too. Right. We're like, we do some merch and it's, or like not even like you have products that my audience would like. I always give this example. Like if you had a grocery store and you only sold your own products and like your large audience was going to the store, that'd be crazy. You'd go to like other vendors and put their products on your shelves and like also sell those. Like why has that not happened? Yeah. Cause Shopify stores are these individual entities and you don't want to like give the keys to the castle to someone else. So, you know, we let you do that in this like very easy way where everyone gets paid at the same time. You know, I'm basically just licensing out my reach to you and sharing in the upside together. I always look at like Barstool Sports as kind of doing this where Dave Portnoy is effectively a creator, has built this reach and then has these like shows underneath that they do, you know, rev splits with, but like they, Barstool pushes them. Uh, and then like those people get, if they get audiences, then they sort of do, you know, this rev split together. And we've just like platformized that so anyone can do it. And I think, you know, I mentioned earlier, it's if we just pull one writer at a time from Substack, it's not really the creator economy. It's just like, you know, the value of, 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 of someone in media has just like gone so high where they're more competitive. You have to like be able to take that entire organization, sports section, and let them work together and feel like, oh, wow, we can all prosper together without bringing any of the complexity of just like a traditional, you know, organization. The Barstool example is very interesting because you described a creator problem that Stir is solving for is focusing on the tool side and the tool side's awesome. Uh, I totally understand everything you're saying because Stripe Atlas is like a great start. Stripe is a great start, but as, your as you said earlier, there's that helps you kind of with the CEO part. It doesn't help you with like the marketing officer side. It doesn't help you with all the other sides of the business that probably aren't inclined towards your skill set. So I think anything Stir does in that space is amazing. But here's something that Barstool does that right now Stir doesn't solve for. Barstool gets you distribution. Let's go to the caller daddy example, not the breakup, but the inception. Uh, the show starts, it has 2000 downloads. And then what ends up happening is Div Portnoy sees Alex and Sophia. He puts them under the Barstool label. They go from 2000 um, downloads to millions of podcast downloads. Now, obviously, like they were always doing great content, but when you start a podcast, there being millions of them, it's very hard to get discovered. So if you think about like the platformization within the Barstool segment, do you think at all about the distribution issue? Because I just think that if I were to actually like, interview lots of podcasters and creators, I would say the bigger issue for them right now up front is, look, I'm doing excellent work, but no one really sees it. So how do you just think of that? Because right now, Barstool and any like big affiliation organization is solved for that. New York Times is solved for that. How do you think about that? Great question. There are really great examples on our platform of it being solved with the given tool set. But we don't, we do think about it a lot. Um, of course, like, you know, we want to put, we want to also put money, more money into creators pockets. And we think about, you know, just, just putting them in front of more eyes helps. Um, but I'll give you one example. There's a creator on the platform 
that's going to make seven figures this year in, in, in new money. And, and what they've done is they have provided the district. So, so what they've done is they have a Shopify split and they, you know, go to smaller creators and they give them the distribution. So they like pump their store on their Shopify thing. And those smaller creators make money. And it's like this networked approach of letting folks work together and then like pushing the smaller ones is, is kind of how we help enable it. That person is a good example. There needs to be, I want more. We also need to build better tooling that helps like fully incentivize that. You could imagine it's really baking in like incentive structures to help uh, increase the distribution on the like host side, but it's still really early for us. And, and, I, and, I, and like, you know, creators for their businesses to, to, to thrive. And, you know, there's like, if you think about this class too, right? There's like, there's only so many folks at the top, the middle is growing, the, the, the tail is, is the largest. And I think for like stir as a business to be successful, the mid tail needs to be the largest. And, and how do we do that? Well, we need to get more folks from that, from that tail and, and bring them up. And, and I think the way you do that is you like incentivize folks at the top that kind of have it already to like kind of make that middle with you. We probably need to do more. There's a lot of things we need to do more of, um, but we're, we're getting our start and it's, it's fun to see. You know, I always, I always relate stir, at least on the splitting and the collective sides. Like I just gave a creator like a new screwdriver right that like un that like tightens a screw that they've never seen before in their life and um once they kind of see that like what they can do with it then they're building like all of these new types of things that just like blow your mind it's actually one of my favorite parts of this company is where i'm working with creative people they just kind of you know, do so many crazy things that you never expected because you've just given the tool set um so we need to do more to maybe like educate guide and and and, and help uh maybe limit a lot of distraction but what we've done so far is I think we've helped with that. No, that's, and just to tie it back to your multiplayer point, which is that if you can create tools that could help people play the multiplayer game versus the single player game, or at least incentivize that, that would obviously help address the distributional point. Because if I'm a big podcaster, if I'm a big YouTuber, this could incentivize me to help solve the distribution issue for other people. So I think that's a good way of tying it together. So something I really love about the company is y'all just experimented. Because something you've also talked about is when you're in a new emerging market where there's a totally new category. There's not a, basically, we, I guess there are like philosophical inklings of this discussion like 10 years ago, but it was just too hypothetical to really mean anything. So this really is like the past two or three years, this is just a different, this is just a different uh, framework. So you've done a couple of drops basically these like one-off experiments. The one I'm most interested in, because it's actually pretty near and dear to me, is the pre-subscribe drop. Yeah. So three parts to this. Um, let's just start here. A, like what was pre what was slash is pre-subscribe? Um, what is it? And like what did you learn from that experience? And I'll give a case study or two and see what your response is. Great. So what we saw I really quick on a preface this by saying um I like to think of our, like everyone at STIR, like our team, I like really encourage us internally to think like an artist. Um, like like we, we're in a new market, it's gonna require new ideas. And if you just look at existing solutions in like other, other markets, like we're gonna take this, put some new marketing skin on it, re-message it and sell it to someone else. Like, I don't, I don't know if you really like have that large of an impact on, on the world that way. And, and that's actually why the company's name stir is we want to mix things up. That's, that's why the company's literally named that. And we have to think differently. And drops were a vessel for us to, to be very creative. 
And with pre-subscribe, I think it's like the best example of that. So there was this meme on, on Twitter where, you know, a reporter would leave their company and the first thing they would announce was subscribe to my Substack. And it was just so interesting to me because it was like, wow, this person was probably like thinking, wrestling with this decision for months on end, decided they were going to go independent and could not build their audience or understand their value until after they made a decision. And it'd be crazy for you to like lobby to go independent before you leave your job, right? You imagine the conversation with your manager the next day. So again, I'm like model flipping. And this is what I, my favorite thing about the space because you can like really tweak things. It's like, well, what if there was a way for the people that would want to support you could show you before. So you could actually get that signal without announcing it. And, you know, to subscribe to my Substack was like the step before would be the pre-subscribe. So we, we built in a way where you log in with Twitter, anyone that you follow, anyone on Twitter, you could pre-subscribe to. You give them your name, your email, and the amount that you'd want to support them if they went independent and you submit it. And that creator can log into the site at any time and get that list, that email list that they could then upload to Substack when they went independent. And uh, it's completely private to them, right? Like, and, it's, and it lives on the platform forever. It's free, we don't, we don't charge for it. And that is like, you know, it really holds true, like the model flipping and, and, and being an artist. It's like one of, my, one of my favorite examples of stuff we've done. That's incredible. And so two things here um, with, with context. I'm really interested in the like funding side of this entire conversation for creators because something you just run into is for most creators, this isn't like a venture capital fundraising type opportunity. But you know, podcasting hasn't had the greatest number of egg, like number of successful exits, and most people aren't the ringer. They're not Bill Simmons. They're not Wondery. So financing is a problem. Part of the way that financing is being solved for right now is advances from platforms. So advances from Substack, advances from Supercast. But what's interesting is the advancement game is it's kind of in a sem. I don't want to say it's sketchy. But it's in a sort of complicated state right now because you have examples like Matt Iglesias where there's these creators or just writers in his case who are new to this world. And Matt had a major advance from Substack and he basically severely underpriced himself. He severely thought he would not get as many subscribers as he would get. And because so many people subscribed, obviously on Substack end, that's great because they're making way more money. But Matt literally left hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table because he did not have an accurate perception of how much money he would actually bring in. So when I see pre-subscribe, I'm like, that could actually be a huge thing if you're a creator because that could actually help you price yourself in the market properly. Because right now there's, mm -hmm. there just isn't a mechanism for this. This could also be great from the advertising side too. If you're going to advertisers, like let's say you're a YouTuber who's switching to the podcasting format, it's unclear what it's going to be. So given all this, have you all ever thought of just becoming like a bank for creators, right? Because I'm sure you have like data from pre-subscribe. I'm sure you like you have these things. Like, is there a world where you're like, hey, well, let's put your data in, like let's run a campaign. We think you could get this many subscribers X, Y, and Z way, and we'll give you an advance. But unlike the platform, unlike Substack, unlike Supercast, we're not trying to basically, I don't want to say like con you into like underpricing yourself, but we'll actually help you price yourself properly. So yes, of course. Um, I think we do think about those things. Like there's like very clear problems that are like, you know, an advance or, or like, invoice factoring where you like give you you know you have to you never have to wait net 60 again we'll just give you the cash those are real problems 
my, my point of view is I don't like those businesses be, for, for a few reasons. One is like, you, you're just kind of just a race to the bottom, like, and you're just like, you see this actually like all these neobanks, right? They're just like wrapping a new skin on, on a commodity product and like buying, trying to buy customers and like praying that they stay loyal. And, and, and my point of view is like, there are real problems that I want Stir to solve, but I'd rather us build like an authentic relationship with folks and sequence it in at a later point. That, that, that is very much a business decision why we haven't done it. But like, I just don't want to be like giving capital away so early at like the stir stage when like we don't really have, like anyone could just spin that up and then like just cut our fees in half. And then we're like that. And you, and you start, you attract like, you know, you, you start giving loans out to businesses you know nothing about. I, the example that I, like I didn't make this up, like where I pulled this from is Square. Square Capital is like an incredible lending business. And it's because like, they built the tooling first. And what they understood was like, they just know so much more about the customer and, and they can actually like prompt you to give you money when you didn't even realize maybe you didn't need it. And they'd be like, listen, we know so much about businesses because we've been doing this and we know so much about your thing. And then one of my favorite things about Square Capital is paying back a loan is like, sometimes people just forget about it or like they're not, they, they miss payments and like, it's, it's, it sucks. Uh, it's, it's a pain in the butt for, for both sides. So what they do is every time you swipe your card at the machine, Square will just take like a fraction of that to pay back your loans. You just put it on autopilot and you can just really just focus on, you know, your relationship with your customers and the products you sell. I, I, I like that model a lot for, for us. I'd rather just focus on like, we help you manage your business. We help you work with others. And then once we have, we do that quite well and you're in the system and you're using Stir, then we can introduce these other products. But we know so much more about you. You have a great relationship with us. And, we, and, and it's a little bit more on like who I am as a person. And I also, I think if you're competing, you're already losing. Um, and, and, and for us, it's like, we want to create a network that is like very focused on the customer and brings them new opportunities. And then we can insert these other products that maybe are outside of our like core companies today. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, a really useful articulation of like your thought process around the space. So for this last section, I just want to ask two meta questions around your process. So you, you did, you did two things. So these are referencing earlier interviews. You talked about how there are moments in life when you just get the sense that you're ahead of the curve. And I would just love for you we're obviously going like nerdy on the creator economy and like most listeners are not going to be building in this space, but let's just assume this listenership is broad founders, investors, creators, whatever, in a bunch of different categories. How should they just think of how you should act when you just get that moment when it's like 2016, 2017, you're just really excited about this space. Like how do you just think people should approach that in a totally sector neutral way? Um, I have an answer here. I'm going to caveat it by saying, um, I have a good family around me that allows me to, to think this way. So not everyone can think this way, but I, I, I love to live in a world where everyone does. And so that's the that's caveat. Um, I believe that there are a handful of moments in your life where you are ahead of the curve on something. It could really be like two to three times, really. And like, those are just so precious moments. And when you know, you know, and I, I just encourage folks when you feel that way, all, everyone in my life, my friends, business partners, family, I encourage them to go after it and go seek that because that is just so rare in your life. Like if you really think about those moments as just being so few and far between, 
you should go after them. I felt that way with this space. I was like, I, you know, I remember like two years ago when I was thinking about, when I was started this, like everyone thought I was crazy. Like every person's going to be a business. It's like, oh, okay, crazy dude. No, I don't think it's as crazy anymore. And slowly when people start to join you, you feel less and less crazy. You're st- we're still probably a little crazy. <laughs> but I think you just need to go after it. And the reason I tell people to go after it, and this kind of it relates to my caveat, is I think people overestimate the downside of just being wrong or failing. You know, it's okay to fail. It's actually probably makes you better. And if you're going after something you really believe in, you'll probably always like respect the fact that you did it. And I just, I've learned, that was like one of the bigger lessons I've learned is that like just trying usually takes you in paths that, that you didn't really know existed. And if you get it wrong, like as long as you have a good support system and a family that loves you and uh, you know, you don't like, spend every dollar you have. You're not like too risk to like just do everything to, to what I, I think you usually wind up in a better place most, if not all the time. Um, so, so that's my, like, that's my philosophy is like, it is just so unique. You can't miss out on them. Last cue you referred after you got to this moment where you knew you had to act, you really became a quote student around the topics in this space. So how, how do you think someone should go about becoming the quote, a quote unquote student in spaces where it's like not quite clear, like we said, the whole point of this discussion is that most of what we're describing is two to five years ahead of us. So it's all hypothetical. So how do you study things in spaces where there are just no clear answers? You talk to the people that are doing it. You learn about their problems. And I think you try and come up solutions with them together. Um, in a lot of the ways, I mean, every drop that we've done, every feature that we have in some, never like really came from me, right? It was like a seed planted by someone that was already doing it. And optimizing for learning is just, it's, yeah, it's a superpower. Like always just like constantly learning. It, it, you can't have any ego. And then thing too is it's like um, so much of this. I think one thing I I, I really believe in is like, Really, if you rip away the code and the, the flashy designs and the venture funding, every business at the end of the day really is a people business. And you have to connect with folks to learn from them and understand what like what you need to do and where to go next and, and what also relationships, relationships just unlock everything. And I don't know, that's just something I've always hold, held true. And it, it like I, I, I laugh at myself sometimes like, there are a lot of things that I don't know. And I am never embarrassed to be like, I, I don't know what you mean. Can, can you explain that? And I do it to creators. I do it to um, uh, venture investors. I, I'll do it to really anyone. I, I, I just think like being really comfortable in not knowing things is a strength because it, it, it brings you down the right paths and you, you know, people can read that off, you know, smell that off you. So. That's so well said. Well, Joe, thank you so much for coming. This is really great. And, uh, there's a lot of great stuff. So where should people go? They're interested in your work, everything you're up to, stuff like that. Yeah, it's great. Um, you should go to our website, com. You can sign up at the top. Um, you fill a short form and you actually schedule. We do like a concierge style onboarding. Uh, you get either I or a member of our team that personally onboards you. Uh, and, and we walk you through our product and we get you, we get you set up. Uh, or you can find us on Twitter or Instagram. We're at stir 
um, on both. And, and then I would say my Twitter, but it might, it's my full name. It's quite long. I'm sure if you find one of those accounts, you will find me. If you really want to find it, you could find it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Right. Marshall, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us in the deep end. If you enjoyed your stay, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with your friends and colleagues to help grow the show with us. We've also got show notes and more episodes available at ideas.beyonddeck.com. See you next time.